And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined by my colleague Stuart Mandel. Uh, We're going to get into a bunch of stuff. We are less than two weeks away from actual football. Can't wait for that. Um, as well as we're going to be, we're going to dig into a bunch of stuff, uh, inside the big 10 kind of as a little bit of a conference preview of what we expect and what we're hearing. Uh, some of these things we're going to get into on other conferences, you know, in the next couple of weeks before the season kicks off, we'll have another episode later this week. Um, yeah, don't bury the lead starting this week. The audible is twice a week through the season. Uh, usually Mondays and Wednesdays, maybe, well, sorry, Mondays and Wednesdays for the next couple of weeks. Once the season starts, usually Sunday and Wednesday. Also on the spirit of, uh, getting deep into the big 10, we're going to have our Ohio state beat writer, Cameron Teague Robinson, who will join us today. And, but before we do that, um, let's get into this. Uh, our colleague, Chris Vanini had a story, a column that went up earlier this morning on what he thinks should happen with Cal and Stanford and related to the ACC and, and what is going on there. So uh, rather than get it, people can read the column themselves, but what is happening there? Is there anything more to talk about? Yeah. I mean, they, they haven't ruled it out yet as of, as of last late last week, um, there had not been an official vote taken, but ever, they seem to know where everybody stands. Uh, for the ACC to add teams, it has to be a 12 to 3 vote. And right now they're one vote short because uh, Florida State, Clemson, UNC, and NC State, if you had a vote today, would vote no on adding those two schools. And I'm not clear whether SMU is still being considered or not. Um, I'm a little surprised there's that much support for it. Um it, but then you have to remember, like, well, common sense kind of went out in the window in realignment a long time ago in terms of geography. I think they look at it as these are two really prestigious universities that are very good at athletics, even if they're not particularly good in football right now. And there's a little bit of a playing defense thing here. And I think, as you know, I thought Chris articulated it well. You've watched what the Big 12 and Pac-12 have gone through, where they opted to stay at a small number and then their schools left and they were, I mean, the big, the PAC 12 is not going to survive. The big 12 was able to rally and survive, but there was definitely some, some scary moments in there. So I think a lot of these schools feel like we should start preparing for that now. And if we have a chance to add more schools, more power five caliber schools, we should do that. And then of course, you know, but let me stop you on this. So Cal and Stanford, as we, as everybody knows, really struggle in football. Cal is, Cal is really bad. Stanford's even worse. They're schools that have not shown much commitment to playing and sustaining football at the highest level. And it's been honestly dwindling over the past decade. Geographically, 
they are on the complete opposite side of the country. And you can talk about these other sports that they have that they excel at, but those are the other sports that are the non-revenue sports that are going to be doing the insane amount of traveling, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the issue is, you know, like to me, it's like, does it make sense from a sustainability? You know, if Florida State and Clemson were to leave, and if also North Carolina and Virginia or Miami left, I don't know what they'd be joining, you know, to begin with. Now all of a sudden they'd be in a league where, you know, is, is it a basketball league at that point? Like what, you know, what are they traveling across the country for and making all those travel costs and, and doing that? They, you know, they may as well just try to join up with the Mountain West because, I, like I said, they're not at that point going to be sustainable in a, from a college football presence. They've already shown that they're not committed to it. I think you guys are looking at things through like a, through a college, it's kind of a jaundiced college football prism. Well, you say you guys, I haven't really. Well, I meant like, I think when you, cause you were talking about, you know, Chris, and I know you've kind of, you brought this up over the last couple of weeks, why you think it makes a lot of sense. And I was like, it would make sense if those schools were actually showed they were really committed to playing college football, but they really, from a resource standpoint, they're not. I think that you're right. I think I'm, I'm on the fence. I can see cases for and against it. I also think like Stanford and Cal, even if they got in, would get in there. And then in two years, that thing unravels like the Pac-12 did. Because it's, even though they yeah, have that grain of rights that supposedly locks everybody in, you've got a, one school openly threatening to leave. Um, I think, I, you know, there's some, you say, hey, why is the UNC opposed to this? They're supposedly a good academic school too. Because I think they want to, they want to get out. If 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 Florida State and Clemson go, they'd be out well, the door too. Out. Almost so that's can. not a healthy situation to walk into. It's but it's like they have those two various schools have no good options right now, unless the Big Ten has a change. Why of heart. is that? Why is that a much better option, given the, all the stuff I mentioned, than trying to just partner with some schools on the West Coast? Because you're talking about the non-revenue sports mostly. You're trying to to keep afloat anyway. What other schools on the West Coast, other than Oregon State and Washington State, can they partner with that won't be considered basically group of five? Like uh, they as much as yeah. if listen, if if Clemson and Florida State leave, that's a worse league than what the AAC was. Cal and Stanford's right now pretty much stink at football. The rest of the leagues you're talking, the rest of the teams you're talking about are not like, they're not powerhouses. So uh, you're not wrong, but I think if you're Sanford and Cal and you're trying, you know, you're facing this kind of financial crisis, um, you've got, and one conference, for as much as Florida State is complaining about the money, they do make 30 something million a year. The Mountain West makes like 4 million a year. I mean, you're talking about life and death here for those programs if they can't get into a power five conference. Um, now, you're not wrong. In fact, I would, one thing I, I, that I think is getting lost in the narrative a little bit is there's this, I mean, I think there's a little bit of like almost some of the, some of the, you know, Jack Swarbrick, the Notre Dame AD, Notre Dame has been, I think, pushing this. Was he's, asked, pushing it, but he's not in that football league. Yeah. Heather Dinich asked him, why, why are you pushing for this? And he said, because basically these are two, you know, two, what I said before, these are two of the best academic schools in the country and they, they're, they have good sports and it's a basically a bad, like, I think there's a little bit of like pity, like let's help these guys out as a charity case. Good. But I would say for football and you can probably sustain it. I would say that 
they put themselves in this situation by exactly what you said. I mean, Stanford football, trust me, I, I know that program well. They let that thing, you know, if this were 2015, I think the Big Ten would want Stanford football because they were rolling. But obviously it eroded under David Shaw. And I don't think it's just David Shaw. I mean, they hired Troy Taylor and the, and and I don't know the exactly what he's making, but it's believed to be in the two, start with the two, which is like Mountain West salary. Um, they have no commitment to NIL. They haven't really been particularly aggressive about the transfer portal. Their stadium is two thirds empty. So yeah, I could see why the big 10 isn't rolling out the red carpet for them. And so as much as this is a really, you know, I think unfortunate situation for all those great non-revenue sports that win national championships and put people in the Olympics, like foot, we all know football drives the bus and they haven't been committed to football. Cal hasn't been committed to football for since like Jeff Tedford left, or maybe even earlier than that. So that's why they're in this predicament. If the ACC doesn't come through, and by the way, I don't know why anybody would think one of those four is suddenly going to flip, and the Big Ten still not an option. But you yeah, get my it's going to be. By the way, like, we're kind of glossing over a little, like, like if you take a look at pick Stanford softball, Stanford soccer, look at what their schedule looks like. They do basically two road trips. Oh, you know, one of them went to I think to Georgia, and they played five games. And then they went to somewhere in the middle of the United States for a quick road trip. And then everything else was on the West Coast. Right. If you. But who are they going to play in softball on the West Coast at this point? If the other at, Pac-12 at this school. Point, you're better off trying to keep, compete with the big West schools and, and whoever else because you don't have any other options. Bruce, I think the problem is you're save If you do that, you know, you're saving travel, certainly. But you're going to kill recruiting in those sports because right now Stanford and Cal are able to get the best athletes in the country in part because they're going to come play, you know, other really good programs like UCLA and USC and Oregon and Washington. Now they're going to be playing, no offense, Fresno State, uh, New Mexico, UNLV. You're not going to be able to attract McDonald's All-Americans anymore or whatever the equivalent is in those other sports. It's going to absolutely kill their recruiting. So that's why I think. If the ACC were to invite them, they got to go as much as much as the travel makes no sense, as much as it might hurt their football programs even more. I just think you're going to kill your other sports if you aren't in a power five conference. But to be clear, as of now, I would say 80 percent chance they're not going to be in a power five. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, so let's pivot off of this. We want to get to on the field, but before, first, this is a story that's on the field, but it's also off the field, and it's it's a 
It's a big story in the Big Ten, and it involves Jim Harbaugh and the NCAA, and the battle has gotten very, very spicy. Um, Normally, the NCAA, you know, Jim Harbaugh didn't comment when he was asked probably a dozen times about what's going on with the case when he was at Big Ten Media Days, and it's people's policy not to comment. Yet, uh, Derek Crawford, who is, I believe, is a former FBI investigator who has worked at the NCAA and works at the NCAA, he did comment and referenced not a cheeseburger in a statement they issued. And um, I thought that was a good column that that uh, Dan Wetzel at Yahoo had all over the weekend about this. And I thought, you know, he got at this. And, and Tom Mars, who we both know well, who has um, won a lot of battles with the NCAA and is probably as versed on, on NCAA justice as anybody, um, has tried to be, is, is, you know, tried to keep his distance from this. But he also acknowledged the the Wetzel column. And this line I thought was, this paragraph I thought was telling. This is a clap back to a Michigan fan rallying cry. Well, before that, you do that, I think you should yeah. read what Derek Crawford said. Okay. The Michigan infractions case is related to impermissible on and off campus recruiting during the COVID-19 dead period and impermissible coaching activities. Not a cheeseburger, end quote. That is, uh, that is a significant little tweak that uh, the NCA and Crawford through at, at Michigan. And as Wetzel put, and I thought, well, this is a clap back to a Michigan fan rallying cry that the entire saga is a trumped up and the most egregious thing Harbaugh and his assistants were alleged to do was buy some recruits a cheeseburger at an Ann Arbor eatery. It's been repeated on social media and message boards as a sign of NCAA incompetence in catching more egregious cheaters. Um, the thing that I think you know, he gets at, which is true, is Harbaugh has never come out and publicly argued that this was just about, quote, just a cheeseburger. Neither has Michigan nor anyone associated with the case in any capacity. They stuck to no comment. The NCAA, Wetzel writes, is arguing with message board posters. Hmm. And there he's, you have it. He's, he's right. And, I, you know, I've followed NCAA infractions cases for 20 years. And you're right. Like, time after time after time. The official party line is we don't talk about uh, specific cases. You know, we don't we don't talk about cases and you don't end up hearing anybody from the NCAA talk about them until four years later when they're finally resolved. And this is such a specific and, and basically snarky comment that everybody around the industry is going, what happened? Like, why? What? What about this case got them so defensive that they felt they need to put out a statement like that? As Dan points out. There hasn't even been a notice of allegations yet. Um, what they tried to do was negotiate or, uh, uh, you know, have all parties agree to a punishment. And you avoid having to go to the committee on infractions. I don't know if four games was uh, too much, not enough. I mean, partially because I don't actually even know what the NCAA has on Harbaugh. Um, supposedly it's for misleading the investigators. But now now that this is out there, um. You know, I think he he could make if this were a court of law, he could make the case that they're being prejudicial. So, but it's not a court of law, and it's like because I asked somebody pretty plugged in on this, I was like, so who checks the NCA when the when they comment publicly on this as they do? And that's that's the part where I don't know what 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 where this goes. The one thing I I think a lot of people can see coming, and 
we've seen you know back-to-back years where Jim Harbaugh has won the Big Ten, gone to the playoff, and then done a dance with NFL teams. And you know, it's my understanding he did have a real offer from the Broncos, but you know, decided to stay here. And this is a loaded team he has. You know, I've written a lot about this. We've talked a lot about it. Um, you know, I expect probably round three after this year, especially if they go to the playoff and they either you know win a playoff game or or win a national title. I you know I would think that uh, to me the part that I I don't quite get is. Jim Harbaugh is not Matt Rule. He is not Urban Meyer. He is a proven NFL guy. He spent a long, long time playing in the NFL, and he was an extremely successful NFL head coach. Like He went to a Super Bowl. He took over a team that was really struggling. The franchise was, was mediocre, hadn't done anything for a long time, and he got them to be really good in a hurry. I get that Jim Harbaugh is... You know, may maybe really, really um, all over the place in an interview, or what they see, or just not, you know, in terms from an organizational thing. But he's a proven guy in the NFL. Um, so I, you know, if he were to, they do what Michigan folks think they're going to do this year, which is make a run at a national title. I would not at all, you know, I would not at all be surprised if this was the swan song, and then whatever the NCAA wants to do, he's going to be gone, and he'll be in we'll the be NFL. Moved. I don't even think like, don't you think, I don't think an NFL team is going to decide to offer or not offer based on whether they go to the playoff. Like they go nine and three, that'll be a little disappointing, but it's not going to change whether or not somebody thinks he's, you know, the right guy to lead their NFL franchise or not. So now I'm at the point of thinking if he gets the chance, he's gone. Cause why yeah, this is going to drag into 2024. There's going to be you know, a hearing. My understanding is from somebody close to him, he actually had the chance to leave. Um, you know, to the Broncos and ended up, you know, wanting to stay. Now, maybe some well, of that probably, was money. Yeah. Maybe, was maybe that was, the, he didn't love the Broncos situation. Maybe it was getting I to come back. I think it's a lot and, that this team is, all, you know, he, how yeah, good this they, team is loaded and he's the most talented team by far. The leadership is really strong. Um, so, But the NCAA know, stuff hadn't quite gotten to the point where it is now. And so because the Committee on Infractions rejected this, you know, proposed uh, plea bargain, if you will, they're going to have to go to the full on, you know, go through the hearing process. It's going to go at least into 2024. We've seen these things drag on forever. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't even want to deal with that. I'm gone. So, um, but first let's see how they do this season. Um, so yes, as you alluded to earlier with the season fast approaching, uh, we want to take a look at each conference. This is not going to be us like predicting the standings. You can read that online. Um, I'm more curious because you talk to coaches, especially with the work you've been doing on Freaks List, all around the country. It's hard to get real intel on what's going on in preseason camps. A lot of these, you know, the writers at the teams get like 15 minutes of viewing and whatnot. Um, we're going to have Cam on in a second here to talk Ohio State. We've talked Michigan a lot. Is there something else, other storylines going on in the Big Ten at certain schools that you're hearing like, hey, this could be this could be particularly interesting or here's a player we haven't heard much about yet? I think the to me, the the, you know, take the Michigan part aside for a minute. The most interesting team this year, maybe in the country, will be in Happy Valley. Um, the coaches I talked to there in the past week. They are are so excited what they've seen from drew aller 
Um, he, there was big buzz on him last year from some of the guys I knew inside the program. We saw them a couple times, but it's gone another notch up after I think what, what they see from him at practice, you know, in terms of, um, you know, how poised he is, uh, in terms of his ability to stand and deliver with people around him, you know, some of the things that honestly Sean Clifford had struggled with it sometimes in terms of, you know, this, this kid who's really big with a really big arm, um, you know, can throw with anticipation, can go from one to two to three through his progressions. And they have, I think they have good receivers right now. They have arguably the most talented running back combination in the country with, you know, Nick Singleton is going to be high up on my freaks list. And Catron Allen is like kind of like a Lavian belt kind of talent. I think he's almost overshadowed by that. There people will see when the freaks come out tomorrow, there's going to be a lot of Penn state dudes on it because of just how well they recruited and developed there. So if, if Drew Aller is what everybody, or at least what some of the coaches think they think he is now, this is a team that, that within the next two years, I think should be a playoff team. Within the next two years, I feel like you're going to want to have that happen this year because Okay, for instance, Audrey Schneider, there was open practice the other weekend, and Audrey Schneider, a Penn State writer, did her observations from it. Um, and Audrey is by no means a homer. She plays it right down the middle, and her very first observation is Penn State's cornerbacks look special. This is not a new storyline, but Kaylin King and Johnny Dixon certainly looked apart Saturday night, while Daquan Hardy continues to be a strong presence. You know things are going well when the number two item is about the kicking competition. Um, well, I would say more than yeah. that, those two. like. They got so many dudes in the front seven. Yeah, the cornerbacks are big time. Like they have, they have three guys who are all about the same size. You know, Chop Robinson, who is an explosive edge rusher. Abdul Carter, who wears number eleven. That should tell you they gave him eleven. What that what that means? They think of him. He's all. Both guys are freaks. And there's Curtis, Curtis Jacobs, who does everything right, and he's like a four 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 five guy. I mean, and that doesn't even include the guys they have up front. Um, you know, in the middle. And I just think the caliber of athletes, I don't think there's any, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I'd be surprised if there was a team that had more difference maker kind of athletes right now on their defense than what, what Penn State and Manny Diaz has to work with. Um, I think we're going to hear from some Georgia fans after that comment, but I'll believe you. But here's the thing. So, if they got to get over the hump with Ohio state. I mean, so when they had kind of that breakout win against them in 2016 and Penn state ended up winning the big 10 that year, you felt like, Oh, this is possibly a new era where they're going to be in the mix with the Buckeyes. They haven't beaten them since there were some close games in there. It hasn't been as close recently. Although that game last year, I think the 44 31 final score. Yeah, was a got out of deceiving. Hand in the last couple of minutes, JT Tumala really took over late in the game. They got their butts kicked in Michigan last year. So I think what you're going to want to see this year, what will be a successful season for Penn, they got to beat one of those two. Um, if you beat one of those two, you got a pretty good shot of getting to the Big Ten title game. Uh, and, and you know, last year we saw where, you know, between those three teams, right, they didn't lose to anybody but each other. Michigan didn't lose to anybody. Um, they got to they got to take that next step. And if Drew, if the quarterback is what you say he is, then yeah, I think they can do that. But 
Um, I can't, I, I can't blame anybody if there's a, you know, a little bit of a, I'll believe it when I see it, um, s- uh, sentiment. Um, I, mean, I, think, I think right now you have to keep it on the big 10 in the big picture lens. I think you have that same sentiment to varying degrees with all three of the most talented teams. You have, I'll believe it when I see it now for certainly for Penn state, for the reasons you said, they'll have, I'll believe it when I see it that for, you know, when I was talking about how Jim Harbaugh might win a national title to ride off in the sunset because they, they're over two in the playoff and you'll have an, I'll believe it when I see it, that if you're and we'll get into, you know, a lot more of this with cam in a couple of minutes, but like Ohio state has been manhandled by it's our tribal the last two years. And I think there's a lot of people who feel like that, what are they, how are they going to change to be a tougher team that they'll be able to handle that? Um, now they could have won a national title without, you know, with, was still getting manhandled. They were really close. I mean, I talked to Marvin Harrison jr. And he was, you know, like some of his teammates couldn't even, uh, watch the, uh, TCU Georgia game because they were like, we were so close to, to beating Georgia and they lose 42 to 41. They're up two touchdowns on them, you know, going into the fourth quarter. So, you know, I mean, that's why, you know, that's the old line. That's why they play the games. I mean, it, it doesn't happen until it, you know, there was a while where people said Kirby Smart couldn't win the national title. Right. Right. So. Yep. Eventually somebody's got to break through. Okay. We talk about those three a lot. Anybody else in the conference that you're keeping an eye on? Uh, was, uh, Wisconsin. I think that, you know, you and I both think Luke Fickle did a outstanding job there at Cincinnati. And from what I've heard from talking to the Badger coaches over the weekend at a scrimmage, they're really encouraged by what they've seen. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not the old Wisconsin in terms of the offense is way different. So, so Luke Fickle hired Phil Longo from North Carolina. He is an air raid disciple. Now he doesn't, you know, he's a real Mike Leach protege, but they ran it really well at North Carolina and he inherits, you know, two good running backs, especially Braylon Allen, who's up to 246 pounds. And he's a lot bigger um, than Javante Williams. Doesn't quite have the same speed, but he can cut and move. And I think he's looked really good from everything I've heard. Tanner Mordecai, who was a prolific uh, quarterback at SMU transferred there. He's got total mastery of the offense already. There's a lot of overlap with what they did, uh, what he did at SMU, and they've really been impressed by his his leadership. And he's got weapons to throw to, not just receivers, but tight ends. So um, I think it will be very I think I think they will be a really fascinating team to watch on the other side. I, I agree. I think they'll be fascinating to watch. And I think, you know, Luke Fickle will turn out to be a great hire for them. My concern for this year is like, I think, you know, I get it why people are excited because they've been watching kind of that plain vanilla style of Wisconsin football for so long. And now they're going to the air raid. That's a pretty drastic change to try to do in one off season. And, you know, they're bringing in, they brought in a lot of transfers who fit that offense, but there's going to be a lot of guys who were recruited to run the Wisconsin, Barry Alvarez, Brett Bielema, Paul Christ offense. And, and also, let's not. I, I'm one thing that's getting completely lost in the shuffle is no more Jim Leonard, who year after year would produce these elite defenses. So I'm I'm approaching it with a little bit of being a little bit cautious. If I would you say could, I would just remind you though that like North Carolina, you know, when people say air raid, I think it's the instinct to think of what Leach did, and you don't run it. 
like Lincoln Riley's team ran the ball really well at Oklahoma. And Longo's offense ran it really well at North Carolina. So like, I think they were second and third in the conference uh, in, you know, the pre, you know, in 2021 and in 20 and 2021. So it's not like that's not going to be a factor. I think they will lean on it, but I just think it will be more, much more explosive in the passing game than it has been. Yeah. I'm not saying they're not going to run the ball. There's little things like, you know, it's completely different blocking schemes and they're going to tempo. They've never been a tempo team. So it could go, it could go either way. If you tell me that they have this breakout season and and they win the West um, in the last season of divisions, I believe, then, you know, I can see that happening. If they go eight and four, I can see that happening too. Who would you say is the team you expect to win the West then? the mighty Iowa Hawkeyes, maybe like I haven't actually sat down and, and breaking down, broke down the schedules or anything, but you know, as much as we love to make fun of Brian Ferentz, like I do think they have a legit quarterback now in Cade McNamara. Um, I think, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna have another great defense. They always do. So I think, you know, it's a you question of, and Brian Ferentz, despite what you, you how you've, Said you have more confidence in Iowa than you do in Wisconsin right now. I don't know. I got to break it down. Look at it. I just know that what I know what I'm getting from Iowa, which is going to be an elite defense. And if they could just, I mean, we've said it the last two years, if they even had an above, um, if they you even had an, know what you're getting, I'm sorry, I'll let you finish. Then I'm going to jump on you for a second. If, if they, we had even an average offense coming out of Iowa the last couple of years, they could have been a playoff contender because the defense was that good. So I guess the question is, is having a, a legit quarterback, but in the same offensive, same awful offensive scheme, enough to get them to average. You're going to talk yourself. It's also like, not like, like, it's not like they're the only two teams in the West. You know, Minnesota has like, been successful. I'm getting in Iowa, but then all of a sudden at the same point, you probably have the least, and I'm not deriding you for this, but like, I know how you feel about, about Brian Ferentz. You know, and it's like he's still running the offense. Correct. And, and let's not forget the dirt, the, the season. I think this could actually end up being a big distraction for them is the season long. Will he score 25 points per game derby unless he just shatters it and makes it a moot issue. So but clearly you're picking Wisconsin. I can I can I hear that. Wisconsin. You're, you by the way, you did a Gary Barta there. You 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 led into one thing and then you, you undermined it all the way with the rest of your. <laughs> yeah. Answer. Um, I'll get back to you. I'm going to be doing next week. I'm going to be doing my predicted standings on the athletic for each, each conference. So give me a surprise answer by that in the big 10 Maryland. Um, I feel like Mike Loxley's team has been quietly getting better each year. You've got one of the, one of the more proven quarterbacks in the conference, but he did lose a bunch of his, his, he did lose a bunch of receivers. They lost two, one great cornerback, one really good cornerback. But I uh, think that, I mean, you're talking about some NFL guys in there. And I think that, I think he's been, you know, he hasn't recruited. Like, I think a lot of people thought when he got the job, he was going to come in and just lock down the DMV. That hasn't happened at all. Um, I think he's I mean, found Roman that. He's a really good running back. Yeah. He had a really good start to his career. Um, uh, you asked me for a surprise team. I think that they... So you think well, they're an eight-win team in that division, though? Eight or nine-win team? Eight or nine-win team. I think they will knock off, just to, just to screw with everybody, they will knock off one of those three preseason top six State teams. They last year. They've been, they've been, you know, 
I mean, it's been a mixed bag, but they've they've come play. They gave Michigan a tough game last year. They got they blown Ohio out by State Penn State. A really tough game. They let's see here. They lost thirty-one nothing to thirty to nothing to Penn State, but then they gave Ohio State a tough game the next week. Beat Rutgers thirty-seven nothing, then beat NC State in the bowl game to finish eight and five, and that was actually their best record in a well, long time. You think time, they have so. a chance to win nine or? I'll go. I'll go. I think they have a chance to go as. Their ceiling, probably regular season ceiling, is nine and three. If you can win the bowl game, you're ten wins. That's a big deal at Maryland. But even oh if they God, go eight yeah. and four, nine and four overall, that's a that's an improvement for them. Yeah, I don't think what maybe a lot of people outside of College Park realized was, you know, they, so obviously Rakim Jarrett was a huge recruit. They they ended up getting him to decommit from LSU and go there, and he was you know, and he made a bunch of plays, but um, Dante Demas who was so good and so talented. And then he gets hurt on that Friday night game against Iowa and he came back, but he just was not the same. And hopefully at some point he'll get back to be hundred percent. And if he does, I think he's going to be a big time NFL player, but he wasn't like he was back, but he, that was not the same guy. Uh, you know, they had some injuries at receiver last year. And I think, you know, Talia is, is an interesting one because he's definitely talented. And I remember talking to Loxley, before one of our games that we did and he was like, I think, you know, I think after CJ, I think he's the next best quarterback in the league and, you know, look, and he knows quarterbacks and he obviously knows him, but he was, to me, he was just very inconsistent. And what I think we need to see from him, you know, I think it's in terms of like maybe the temperament and managing not to the, just the on the field, but just the riding, the riding the ups and downs as a quarterback over the course of the game. I think that's one that's been one of the big focuses with him. Um, I thought about that, you know, I thought about the, the, the Loxley statement over the weekend. Cause I watched, I don't know if you watched, this is a home game for you, the Raiders 49ers game and Purdue quarterback, former walk on Aiden O'Connell it's a preseason game, but I would not be surprised if Aiden O'Connell's in the NFL for 10 years after watching him. Like he looked, really sharp in terms of just some of the stuff he did and everything. And, um, I don't know, I was just, uh, very impressed by him and I'm saying that to get into this. So we got, you know, we got a new coach at Purdue, um, Ryan Walters, really good defensive coordinator at Illinois. He's now, they are really running the traditional Mike Leishish rate air raid with, with, uh, Graham Harrell. If I throw these three schools at you, I'm going to put Purdue in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to say Illinois cause I know we both think they're, they're really good, but I'm going to say, um, Purdue and then Minnesota. We're not going to put your alma mater in there, but we are going to put Nebraska new head coach there. Obviously, what do you expect from those three teams? Like, is there, is there a, you think it's a realistic shot to expect one of those teams could be a top three team in the West? Absolutely. Like Minnesota's been good. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> Process of elimination. One of these teams is going to be in the top three, yeah, probably. Um, well, I think you mentioned a couple of schools there with coaching changes in Purdue and Nebraska. And it's hard to, it's always hard to tell how a school is going to do in the first year. That's why I was expressing a little skepticism, even with Luke Fickle, who I thought was a great hire. PJ Fleck just keeps doing what he does. Nine and four last year. Um, they're always a little bit overlooked, I think. No reason why they can't continue to be at that level. No reason why, you know, I feel like in the last year of divisions, it would be a little bit, uh, you had Purdue win the Big Ten West last year. Could you have Minnesota win it this year, maybe? 
Man, Tanner Morgan was there forever, and he's not anymore. Um, I'm not sure that's a bad thing necessarily. I don't know. I'm not feeling it, but I'm just not. I think I think there'll be a bowl team, but I don't think you know they their running game has been so good, and Mo was such a I don't say he's underrated, but like. You know, they had the year 2022 or 20, I'm sorry, 2021, not this past year, but the year before that, where they had like seven guys have a hundred yard games because they had so much injuries in that room and they still kept producing. Yeah. I think, you know, I think they're a six and six kind of team, to be honest. Oh, I just, so you're, you think they take a big step back. I do. I don't think, I think they take a step back. I look at this and if you ask me off the top of my head, um, I'm, I think Wisconsin's a top 20 team. I think Iowa is a fringe top 25 team. I think Illinois will be maybe a slightly slight below that. Um, I'm very curious about Purdue. I'm impressed by Ryan Walters. I just, I want to see how that air raid is going to do. You know, the guys I talked to at Texas thought Hudson card was really talented. Um, You know, so we'll see. I mean, Hudson card with, with Graham Harrell should put up a ton of yards. I think. Um, you know, I have a really good running back who's probably one of the best former walk-ons I think out there. Um, I don't think your alma mater is going to be good this year for all. Oh, sort of- that's going to be an absolute train wreck. Don't yeah. even get me started on that. I mean, I, I, Nebraska's the one, and we're going to have them week two when they go into uh, Boulder to play Dion. Like you and I both think very highly of Matt Rule. But I'm just like a little shell shocked of 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 Nebraska after thinking Scott Frost was going to do so well. And I'll be honest, I'm a little hesitant on Jeff Sims at this point, just because of what I kind of knew from, you know, and Georgia Tech was a rough situation all the way around. But I just feel like that's asking a lot for a guy who, you know, had a lot of struggles to now all of a sudden he's got to come in and, and really lead a new situation. So I'm fascinated, but I don't know if I have. I feel like it it may be a little while before that thing gets cranked up. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. 
From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Well, our guest is here. What do you say we talk some Buckeyes? We are now pleased to be joined by our guest. He is a diehard Browns fan. We really should start with that. Uh, Cameron T. Robinson versus the Buckeyes. And they are, an, as, as we talked about, they are a very, very interesting team. But I want to tee up on this because Stu and I didn't get a chance to talk about this camp uh, the other day. A, a true legend in college athletics stepped down the other day in Columbus, Gene Smith. And I think for people who you know, know is obviously it's a massive athletic department that he ran, but it's also there's a ton of ADs who he has mentored who learned under him. As somebody who's around there day to day, what do you think Gene Smith's legacy is going to be there? Yeah, um, I mean that's a that's a lot to think about because he's done so much not just for Ohio State but for the whole program. I mean not just for the whole program but the whole conference. I mean I think he probably leaves as one of the more um, influential ads in the country and and, and the Big Ten as well. So um, nothing really happened there in the Big Ten without. Gene knowing about our Gene, Gene having some say in it. So um, I, I think he's a guy who navigated through a lot of tough times, whether that's the Jim Trussell um, stuff or Meyer, um, I think made a big decision with hiring Ryan Day. Um, but I, I think it's generally just going to be how he, how influential he was around the country and in the big 10 and, and, and really kind of helping Ohio state, navigating now what three different coaches in his tenure um and stay at the the highest point uh, of, of the sport yeah i mean to me he he had such a huge uh profile nationally partially because of the school he's at but also just because of who yeah. he is and so i think on the whole people are going to talk very fondly of him i will say one thing that marred his legacy for me is he really you know once all the details came out about zach smith and and all the eight gazillion chances he got and the fact that they were aware of, um, you know, the investigation that was going on to him at the time for domestic abuse. He, he seemed a little bit out to lunch on that once the facts came out and he himself got suspended uh, as part of that. But to his credit, he didn't just like then roll over and let Urban Meyer keep doing whatever the heck he wants. Like he stood up right. to him and, you know, we didn't realize this at the time, but, you know, he kind of unofficially named Ryan Day the head coach in waiting uh, during that 2018 season. And sure enough, Urban steps aside after the year and you had a really seamless transition, which that's one thing that's amazing to me always about Ohio State is they never seem to take a step back. They lose right. these Hall of Fame coaches, national championship coaches, and they just keep going. So, um, yeah. And th- yeah. That, that's something I talked to him about when he retired. Like we talked, we sat down in the Woody Hayes Center um, at the practice field and we talked about the football program and about the Ryan appointing Ryan day. And he was just like, we didn't, I didn't want to hire someone that came in and changed a bunch of stuff. Cause we're Ohio state. We didn't need to change things. We just had to keep things rolling. Um, and he said he had been, he had like thought so highly of Ryan day, even like for years before that. So, um, he, he seemed to know pretty well that Ryan day was going to be that guy. And he didn't, he said, he told me he was going to retire in 2019. Um, but he wanted to wait to see till I helped Ryan day in his first full, full year. So, um, uh, th- I mean, those two are really close. Uh, I know um, 
that conversation was tough for them. But whoever comes in is going to have to have a pretty good relationship with Ryan Day again. I mean, football is king there, and you can't be AD if you don't really have a good um, relationship with the football coach. Do you have a feel right now? I mean, you know, there's a bunch of people, Pat Chun, the Wazoo AD among them, who Martin Jarman, who's the AD at UCLA, another you know person who's on the West Coast, but learned under him. Do you have a feel of which direction you think they're going to go and what's the timetable of that that's going to be? Yeah, I, I know they're not going to hire a new AD until they get a president. So they don't, currently don't even have a president right now. So um, that, that'll be first and foremost. Um, it's hard to really gauge until you get a president because it's very easy to say they're going to go in the Gene Smith tree. And like you said, they can get Pat or they can get uh, Jarman. I think two guys who would probably be great for that position. Um, but you never know if the new president's going to want to come in and say, I want to get my own, I want to bring in my own person um, and lay my, put my own stamp on this athletic program um, or athletic department. So um, I think Patton and Jarman are two are probably the top names on that list. Um, but it's, it's hard to really kind of get a gauge on it until you see what they're going to do president wise. On the field for Ohio state this season, you know, you've been following preseason camp and I came out of spring uh, under the impression that the quarterback race was all but wrapped up. But here we are um, mid-August, and I saw just before you came on here, Ryan Day said he's not ready to name a starter. Yeah, no, I think it's a matter of consistency. Um, he said that. I mean, he's probably said that word four or five times today. Um, I thought, because he we usually get him Wednesday, and they had a scrimmage on Saturday. And we got a message yet last night that they're moving him up to Monday. And I, I think a lot of people thought, oh, he's going to name a starting quarterback. And then we got a text saying that it wasn't that. He just wanted to talk about the scrimmage. I, I just I just think it's a matter of one of them has to be more consistent than the other. I think it's still going to be Kyle McCord. If things ended today the same way going into Indiana, I think it'd still be McCord. But I think Dave wants to see McCord or Brian, Devin Brown stand out and consistently stand out. And you watch them practice. They have the talent. They just – they're good one play. They're bad one play. And it's really funny. I feel like they're mirroring each other. You could see – you could look on one field and see Devin Brown miss a throw. And then the next rep, you could see Kyle McCord miss a throw. It, it's like, it's really, it's cliche to say they're even, uh, but they really are. I, I think Day is just waiting for someone to stand out. I still think it's going to be McCord, like I said. Um, but until he proves it, I don't know, Day's, Day's not going to end the QB race just because McCord is the, the older guy. Yeah, I, and I talked to somebody there over the weekend, and the point that they they kind of really made to me about it was, you know what, we have had, you know, they're all super talented, but whether it was Dwayne Haskins uh, or Justin Fields or obviously CJ, it was just like, hey, you know, we're, we got to let it take shape of who we are, you know, kind of thing. And and because this quarterback, whoever it's going to be, you know, whether it's McCord, you know, Devin Brown's probably a little more athletic, but still not, certainly not Justin Fields. And I think, you know, it's a benefit. And I, this is where I want to lead you to it. But like, obviously, loaded receiver room. You know, Stu and I talked about Marvin Harrison Jr. before. You know, they got a Mecca. They got so many dudes. And, you know, especially the young receivers, I mean, are just, you know, there were people are raving about. But I think one thing that last year was an issue with them, Cam, was they got really banged up in the backfield, right? And, yeah. you know, Chip, Tra- Chip, Chip Traianum, former Arizona State running back, ended up flipping over from defense and back to running back and helped them out, especially yeah. in the Michigan game. But the, one of the guys who I thought going into the year was a legit Heisman, you know, caliber guy, really, you know, was banged up and just wasn't the same guy. And then I just saw, you know, some of the Ryan Day comments about, 
I mean, if I was a Buckeye fan, I'd be really happy to know that your former freshman star running back seems like he's back to be yeah. himself. So can you just pick up on what you've seen from, yeah. from Trayvon? I mean, he, he's a good camp. They haven't done a lot with him because they, I mean, obviously you want to keep him healthy, but he's looked good the few times he's been out there. I, that's the thing about Ohio State. And like, like you said, you thought he was going to be a Heisman guy. Then you had Mayan Williams. You thought you had two legit backs last year and they were both banged up. But then you end up playing Miami. They played five running backs and they really only had four. And they just moved Dave Johnson from receiver to running back at times. So uh, now they truly have five. I think Trey's going to be the guy who I think a lot of people really just is kind of under the radar because he was hurt last year. And you saw him play, but he didn't look like freshman Trey. So everybody was like, what's wrong? Um, you, you'll have Mayan, those who will get the majority of the reps. but. Dallin Hayden, you mentioned Chip, and then Evan Pryor, who um, tore his patella tendon last year. Um, he's back. He's the most explosive of the five. I think he just has that just breakaway speed. Um, they have decisions to make about who they want to be that third back. I think they're going to rely heavily on those guys this year as they try to work in the quarterbacks. But I, I agree. I think Trey could have a huge year. Uh, I think he's healthy. He's looked really good in camp. Um, and I know there's a a chip on his shoulder, if you may say, just because of everything that was said about whether he's whether he fell off last year or or if it was just an injury or if he was soft, you know. So um, yeah, that that motivation is there for Trey for sure. It seemed like coming out of spring, um, if they had a question mark on offense, it was actually on the offensive line, in particular at the yeah. tackle spots. You know, clearly he wasn't pleased with what he was seeing. They went out and got the transfer from San Diego State. You know, where do you think that stands now? Have they shored up that position or is it still a question mark? I think it's still, it'll be a question mark, honestly, really until Notre Dame, no matter who starts. I think you want to see it against real talent, but um, they, I think they're, it's taking shape. You know, I think the kid from San Diego, Josh Simmons, um, is probably going to start at left. Um, and then you'll see Josh Fire probably at right tackle. That's what they were, that's what it looked like Friday when we got to see camp. Um, they talked about moving those guys around a little bit. Um, but I think you're looking at those two and then you have uh, Ryan's raved about incoming their, uh, true freshman, Luke Montgomery. I mean, he looks like he's going to be a second string tackle right now. Um, so they're seeing it take shape. I think they came out of spring and they were like, we don't know what we have. They, I think they knew they had Josh Fryer, but they didn't know what else they had. Um, but I think Simmons has come in and really kind of given them a, the, that second guy. Now it's a matter of finding out which one's better on the left or, or the right. Yeah, as as for Josh Simmons, like he was a pretty big recruit. So I know that um, you know Justin Fry, who was the old line coach at, in OC at UCLA, he had recruited a, a Simmons to you know yeah. when he was in high school. And I, there are a lot of people there who feel like he's a legit NFL talent. So obviously, there's you know you lose two big time NFL players, bookend tackles, but you know he's at Ohio State for a reason. I I want to circle back on this part of it though, like you know is. In the Michigan game, they gave up some really big plays, and the, the defense seemed like it just, especially on the back end, seemed like it really kind of was vulnerable. Everything I've heard is yeah. they feel like they got three legit corners. You know, Denzel Burke has been there, f- you know, for a minute, and people know he's got some ability. But tell us what you've seen from their transfer from Ole Miss, who's like long and fast, and yeah, I, I think he was a big get for them. Yeah, he's good. He's really good. They love they love Davison. Um, I, they talk so much about Jordan Hancock um, that it surprises me sometimes because I thought Davison was going to be the second guy there. I thought he was going to walk into that spot. Um, but the kind of the talk is that Davison has helped push that room. You know, you, 
Jordan Hancock missed most of the year because of a hamstring injury, came back this offseason, and Davison has made Jordan get better. So when you talk about they think they have three legitimate corners, I mean, they don't know. I, I think it's going to be a matter of like just running them out in matchup scenarios. I think they're going to rotate those three, uh, but they love Davison. He's big. He's probably going to be a great red zone corner for them. Um, they can put him on the outside. I know they've experimented this uh, this during camp with running Denzel and Davison outside and Jordan Hancock in the slot and nickel. Um, so they love those guys. They think Denzel's an all Big Ten guy. Um, and then between Davis and, and Jordan, um, they, they think they can rotate and be solid at corner. And I think so. I think for me, the bigger question is, will they stop giving up the big plays and it's at safety? Um, I mean, you saw Lathan fall in the Georgia game that really kind of turned that one. Um, they gave up the pat, a big pass against Michigan from a safety position. So that's something that needs to be shored up. I think they have the depth and talent there. It's just a matter of like you have to see it, you know. Um, but I think they do have talent at corner. That's one position that I understand why there'd be worry from fans about going into this year, but I think they've, they've done a really good job shoring that position up this offseason. You know, obviously every, everything about Ohio state in the offseason has been about Michigan and yeah. you know, the, what's happened in the game the last two years. And so I'm going to throw a little bit of a different angle on it. You were obviously at the Ohio state Penn state game last year. It was a little bit, I thought closer than maybe the final score indicated. I mean, for all the talk about Ohio State, Michigan, should we be looking at this more as a three-way race, or do you feel yeah. like Ohio State is, in particular, still kind of a cut above Penn State? I'll, I'll say I think Penn, I think Ohio State is the most talented of those three. I think there is a legitimate three-way race, though. I, I think you could see a scenario this year where Ohio State beats Penn State, Michigan beats Ohio State, and Penn State beats Michigan. I think you could see that. Um, I, I for me it just um, just depends on how good Drew is for Penn State at quarterback. I, I think I think they have all talent in the world. Um, I think they're going to be really good defensively. I think if Ohio State went with this year's team went to Penn State to play this year's team, I think they'd lose. Um, they just didn't play well play well down there. Um, but I, I really do. I think it's very easy to say that Big Ten is Michigan and Ohio State, but I think Penn State's really really good. I think they're going to make a push for uh, for the for the division this year. Hey, just this last thing for for me, Cam. You know, being at that at, at that game, but but also at the game in Columbus against Michigan. You know, Ryan Day's record as a Big Ten coach is remarkable, but it's two losses to the to the team that everybody cares about the most. How much yeah. pressure do you do you think is there in terms of like what is the fan base? You know, how do they feel about him right now? I mean, his record is yeah. amazing. He came he came probably within a missed field goal of winning a national title last year in spite of the Michigan game, regardless. But what did they like? Is it a real thing or is this just a message board thing? I think it's uh, the minority is the loudest type of thing. Uh, we So we did our I did my fan survey before camp and asked that question. And it seemed like most people were like, we trust Ryan Day. We're fine. And there was a minority of people who were like, I'm done with him. He has to be Michigan or he has to go. I think the thing right now is I find it very hard to see a way that Gene Smith fires Ryan Day if he doesn't beat Michigan on on his way out. You know, so to me, unless it, unless Ohio State just collapses, I feel like Ryan Day has at least another year. Even if he loses to Michigan, I think fans will be irate if they lose to Michigan three years in a row. But they, I think he knows there's pressure to win that game, um, especially after losing last year um, and, the, and the way they did. You can't lose that way two times in a row. Like it's, it just like seemed like deja vu. So um, I think he feels pressure and he knows his pressure. 
whether he's going to lose his job if they go 11 and one and lose to Michigan. I don't think that's the case, but um, he knows he has to get it done this year. And there's no excuse. Like I understand you don't have a quarterback. I understand you don't have a tackle, um, but, and I understand you're going on the road, but I, th- I think he knows there's no excuse to not, to losing to Michigan again this year. If nothing else, I think we can put to bed the perception there's been so for so long, there's this big talent gap between them. And so when yeah. Ohio state loses, it's like a huge indictment on them and it's underachieving, but they do need to win. And yeah. Um, you know, this is the most even it's been in the rivalry in a long, long time. So, you know, I think we all, we all know we'll, that we'll be watching that game at the end of the year, but I am interested. The scenario you brought up, by the way, for those of us old, old enough to remember the 2008 big 12 South, where they all went 11 and one, eight and one, uh, they all lost to each other once and they had to go to the crazy tiebreaker. That would be a fitting end to the East division. <laughs> if that happened, it this would year. be perfect. I, I, I just, this is why I think it's going to happen. It'd be the perfect way to end divisions in the end of the 10. And I don't know how that tiebreaker would shake out, but that, that would be, that'd be the perfect way to do, to do that. I can, I can, you know, it's weird because that would mean that Michigan would lose to Penn state. Ohio state would beat them again. And the game that would matter the most to, to fans in, in Ann Arbor and Columbus. It always comes out of that. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. I, I think that's insane. If Ryan day somehow goes 11 and one and loses that game, I mean, it's a, it, it's a mental block. I, I really think it is. Uh, the Ryan Day we saw against Michigan last year and the Ryan Day we saw against Georgia was just not – it wasn't the same person. It wasn't the same coach. I mean, I, I think they went to Georgia thinking they had nothing to lose, and I get that, and they had stuff to lose against Michigan, but I, I think really think it's a mental block. He just looks so tight and doesn't seem like the same play caller. Now, he might not call plays this year anyway, but still, it didn't seem like the same guy. It's definitely something to watch. Good stuff, Cam. Um, we uh, we appreciate you joining us on the Audible today. Yeah, no, I appreciate you guys having me. And if you're interested, follow Cameron uh, for all the Ohio State uh, coverage, uh, CJ underscore Teague. So, Cam, thanks for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. All right, well, we hope you enjoyed Big Ten Day on the Audible. Um, on Wednesday, uh we're not going to tease which conference just yet, but we'll do something similar. And also we'll get to your mailbag questions on Wednesday. So please send them to the audible pod at gmail.com and we'll see you then. How did we get away with the things we used to do?